I've been playing video games for as long as I can remember. My fondest childhood memories are mostly tied to me playing video games with my family and friends. You know, those magical hours between when the school bell rings on Friday afternoon and when it's finally time to hang it up on Sunday. My best friend and I would get driven to the video store after school and we'd rush to the game section excitedly looking for a specific game only to find that someone else had rented it. We would both go cover to cover until something excitedly caught our eye. We'd rush home, pop it into our gaming console, and then proceed to spend the entire weekend getting as much time as possible out of the game, pausing only to use the bathroom, eat the pizza that would inevitably get ordered in, and maybe, just maybe, get a few hours of sleep. This was every weekend of my childhood, and I'm betting it was the same for many of you too. Video games have made me happy. Video games have made me cry. I've raged over them. I've used them to calm myself down. I read about them. I watch TV shows. I spend time on YouTube learning about them. I will share them with anyone who will listen. I owe my best friends to video games. They've helped me cope with some very dark times in my life. Video games are important. Video games make a difference in my life, in your life, and the lives of many people all around us. Hello, dear listeners. I want to welcome you to the very first episode of our weekly video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we're going to share your stories, either submitted to us or found elsewhere, to start discussions about the impact that video games have had in all of our lives. My name is David Kasson, and I'll be your host each week as we talk about why video games are important to each and every one of us. I want to hear your stories about those games that leave you open mouth with awe and inspire you to be something more than you already are. I want to hear those stories about your absolute best friends and the crowded lad parties which would eventually devolve into a giggling fit over the excessive teabagging of one's dead body. Or sleeping one. I don't know. We could all be a weird bunch sometimes. I want you to tell me about the game that helped you through a tough time and the other that helped create memories that you hold close to your heart. This is our platform and I want to hear from you weekly about why video games are important to each and every one of us. Alright, without further ado, let's get into this. Today, we're going to be taking a look back at the first week in September throughout gaming history. We'll be looking back at 1992 Super Mario Kart, where one young gamer's memory leads us to a discussion on random acts of kindness. After that, we'll be looking at 1993's Illusion of Gaia, in which one impressionable kid found the moment he realized that video games were art. Finally, we'll segue into 2013's Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, to talk about the emotional investment that we all put into our games and how that affects our experience. As I mentioned before, I'm Dave Casson.
Join us as we take a trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope that these words find you well, listener. Now, before we go any further, I'd be remiss if I didn't make an introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, my co-host for today's episode is my Rocket League partner, my friend, and my brother, Rob Casson. Hey everyone, Rob Casson here. Uh, I just want to say I'm excited to be here with Dave. Um, you know, it's such an honor he asked me to do this with him. He brought the idea to me, and obviously it's been his baby, but he's, uh, you know, kind of let me take a hand in it, and I'm proud of what we're going to do and excited to be here. Uh, just a few simple facts about me. I love video games. I love going fast. And I love going fast in video games. Um, obviously, the younger brother here of Dave by about uh, 11 years, so uh, very uh, large difference there, but... Uh, you know, happy to be here. And as mentioned, I'm David Kesson. And wouldn't you know it, the very first video game I ever played was released during this week in September. Oh, really? Which, interesting, which, which one? Back in September of 1985, I would have been two. So uh, this memory would have had to have come a few years later, uh, but... You know, the earliest video game memory that I can ever remember having is of a Nintendo that mom and dad bought, and they hid it in their bedroom. Um, it didn't last very long. Uh, I distinctly remember walking into the bedroom and someone was playing NES baseball on it. Um, and, you know, we, we've uh, there were other systems in the house. Um, there was an Atari. There was an Intellivision. We had a Commodore 64. And I have memories of playing all of those, um, but the earliest memory I can put together of gaming is playing baseball in uh, mom and dad's bedroom. And it didn't stay there for long, needless to say. <laughs> that sucker got moved downstairs to our family room uh, pretty damn quickly. And, uh, and yeah, the rest is, is, uh, the rest is history. You know, I had a chance to talk to Dad this week. I was unaware of that. You know, I, I couldn't place the timeline for everything because I remember having the Nintendo, but then I also remember having the Atari and the Intellivision and the Commodore 64. And yeah, I, I, I was like, yeah, what, what came first? And the Intellivision was actually Dad's from when he was a kid. And the Atari came from Mom's family from when they were kids. So, I mean, you know, we may not have gaming parents, but we have gaming in our lineage. I also found out that the reason why the Nintendo was bought was because it came with the exercise pad. And I distinctly remember track and field because you had the exercise pad and you had to run along it and like jump and do weird stuff to make it work. It's really funny because, you know, I have the ring fit now that I like to exercise with. And apparently the very first video game system that I was ever introduced to was bought for exercise reasons, too. <laughs> so uh, I think maybe that's the, the world's way of telling me I need to exercise through video games. <laughs> Just the circle of life. Yeah, yeah. 
what start out exercise and you're gonna end exercising. <laughs> so maybe it's a it's a warning. Don't exercise because uh, getting up there. No, no, I need to exercise. Look, as you get up there, the exercise becomes even more important because as the older you get, the less impactful exercise is, and you have to work harder to get to the same place, which is really, really discouraging. I mean. God, you have to work hard at some point and then harder and harder. Man, those guys that look good in their 40s and 50s, dude, if you got if you're one of those, all the more power to you. I admire you guys cuz I I don't know if I'm going to still have it in me to, you know, look this good when I get up there. <laughs> so. Yeah, Taco Bell calls my name way too often <laughs> for all that, you know. I do my best, but there's always those cravings you just can't get by, and, you know, I'll always take Taco Bell over some exercise, because I'm not a glutton for punishment. I'm a glutton <laughs> for food. Yeah, right on, right on, right on. So, there are other things that I do with my life, everyone. You know, TVs, movie, fantasy football, but um, truth be told, gaming has always been the one hobby that I've been fixated on. I, I read about them, I watch shows about them. I love to talk about them, and I'll share my love of them with anyone who wants to listen. And and one thing I've always wanted to do is give back to the community. So here we are. You know, I, I said before, I'm super excited to do this podcast, and, and this is my way of giving back, and I hope you'll be a part. Rob, why don't you talk a little bit about our age difference and, and, and us growing up together? Yeah, so, you know, like I said, uh, I am the younger brother by 11 years, so there is a decade between the two of us. And, um, you know, it definitely is not your typical sibling relationship. Didn't really get to see Dave a whole lot from the memories that I have, you know, around the time I really start remembering kindergarten, first grade, Dave's getting up there in high school, out doing his extracurriculars, uh, marching band, which actually is one of the uh, major reasons that I got into music myself. Um, both him and our sister, Christina, were in the marching band in the, in the school bands. Although much of David Chagrin, I uh, chose saxophone over trumpet. But, Traitor. you know, Trader, yeah, it's it's more fun that way. Didn't get to see him a whole lot, but I remember growing up, we always had one thing in common, and that was video games. So it didn't matter, you know, we could have a fight the day before, we could have a great day. It didn't really matter because we would always have that one time we'd sit down and play games. And even once Dave went away to college and I didn't get to see him that often, we could still meet up online and play our games together. And, you know, he moved back in, but still a little far away from me. And me being in high school before I had my first car, couldn't really drive out to see him. Well, hey, there's Xbox Live. We can play some games together. I get old enough. Hey, we go over there. We're playing games again together. Now we're... Uh, how, how many miles are between us now, Dave? Uh, a little over a thousand these days. So a thousand miles between us nowadays. We can't really uh, hop in the car and drive over and say, hey, let's play some games. So... You know, with the abilities online, play these games. It's uh, some way that Dave and I get to still connect and uh, be close to one another. Video games have definitely played a huge part in our lives, and um, I hope that they have also for all of you. You know, I feel that the age difference between us has a huge part to play in this because we have a different perspective. Uh, obviously, he looks at a lot of the things that we're releasing around the same time with a decade more of experience, a decade more of uh, knowledge, understanding than I have, and. I, you know, I'm young, I'm naive, and even to this day, I'll tell you the same thing. I may act like I'm the smartest guy around, but, you know, I'm very uh, naive in my ways. 
Uh, but, don't, uh, don't don't sell yourself short, man. Don't sell yourself short at all. You you you're a hey. he's look everyone. He's the engineer in the family. He's the only engineer in the family. So don't don't let him pull that shit on you. He's kind of a big deal. At five foot six, it's easy to be short. <laughs> Is that really how tall you are? Well, five six five seven. Yeah, on a good day. Seriously? Yeah, I'm short. Come on. I I. I, I I don't know. I guess I've never paid attention. I have a good four or five inches on you. I never knew that. Yep, yep. All right. Well, you know, uh, at least you're the engineer in the family. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Look here, you. Come on. Tell, let's back to the podcast. <laughs> All right. So on to the podcast itself. Look, guys, this is not our podcast. We want this to be your podcast. And what I mean is that we are most interested in hearing stories from you about how all of these games have impacted your lives. We hope that you'll find it in yourselves to let your guards down and have some serious conversations with us each week about why these video games matter to you. To make this happen, we've set up a number of ways you can share your stories with us. A Discord server where we can come together as a community and have conversations. And on it, we're working on a way where you'll be able to submit your stories as a voice recording if you'd like to hear yourself on our podcast. You can find an invitation to this Discord, as well as a form to just submit stories if you'd like to submit it to us as a you know, text or an email on our website, uh, memorycardlane.com. There you'll find information on our podcast episodes, information on how to submit pictures, and information on us. There's a little bit of everything there. Real easy to remember, memorycardlane.com. Thank you, Dave. So we've decided to frame this podcast as a This Week in Gaming History podcast to give us a smaller list of games to focus on each week. By narrowing it down to only the current week in history, we feel that it'll give us more focus and sometimes force us to talk about more obscure titles that may not have been some noticeable releases. Yeah, guys, and uh, for the time being, we're going to be using the U.S. release dates to determine which games we'll be discussing each week. You know, we, we may change that as we grow internationally, but now we're going to keep it close to home. So that's really it. That's our plan. Yeah. Yeah, for now, uh, you know, we're, we're going to keep it simple for the moment and just kind of follow that basic game plan. You know, there are a lot of other things that we have plans for. I've got some big plans. I'm super excited for this podcast and this platform and, and some things we have in store. But we're going to save the rest of it so we have some room for us to level up and grow. Rob, you want to you add uh, anything else in there before we move on? No, I think we are good. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm good. Mm, mm, oh, man. God, I am dragging. Ugh. Up to late last night playing Rocket League? Nah, man, I was doing research for this podcast. I mean, we got to have things to talk about. Ugh. Come on, man, don't fall asleep on me here. Yeah, no one wants to listen to that. Just, you know, hold on a moment, man. Oh, man. Oh, that's so much better. That that really hits the spot, I swear. What you drinking? Uh, this is just a classic Nuka-Cola. Nuka-Cola? That doesn't sound safe to drink. No, what are you talking about? It's absolutely safe to drink. Let's take a look here at the ingredients. We've got uh, carbonated water, uh, caramel coloring, uh, aspartame, phosphoric acid. That sounds healthy. Potassium benzoate, natural flavors, citric acid, and of course, all that delicious caffeine. Man, I need the caffeine. I need the caffeine so bad. 
I mean, it's just all the basics of your classic cola. Well, but I've heard that Nuka Cola doesn't taste like just any old cola. That's right, Rob. Those natural flavors there, it's 17 different fruits mixed in to get just the right proportion to give Nuka Cola its unique taste. 17? Man, that sounds delicious. Oh, it is. And with so many things laying around these days that are just radiating negativity, Nuka-Cola is a refreshing change of pace. I wish I had a refreshing Nuka-Cola right now. Where can I find one again? Oh, you know, vending machines, grocery stores of yesteryear. I mean, more often than not, you can just find them laying around for you to pick up out there on the wasteland. Well, looks like I'll have to go scavenging for some Nuka-Cola. Be my guest. Just be safe out there, Traveler, and don't forget to save those bottle caps. You never know when they'll come in handy. Hey, thanks, man. If you're feeling refreshed, can we talk about video games now? Yeah, I mean, with this new Coca-Cola, I'm feeling much better, so let's talk video games. All right, let's head back to September 1st, 1992, the day in which Super Mario Kart for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System was released in North America. Mario Kart continues to be one of the biggest franchises for Nintendo to this day. How do people feel about the start of it all? Well, you know, I would have been eight when this game came out, and we definitely had it in the house, but I don't remember when we got it exactly. I, I doubt we got it right at first because we never got video games at first growing up. What I do remember, though, is the hours of fun playing that stupid battle mode with our sister, and then also with my friends, I distinctly remember a birthday party when we just did that battle mode all day. It was this four-person split screen, and we'd all get in the fights over whether or not someone was looking at your screen. Man, you know, I've that exact same situation every time when I was growing up, middle school, when Halo was big and popular. We'd have these big group things, and we'd just do Halo. And it got to the point where we were, you see these memes, people are putting cardboard or binders between screens. It was literally to that point. We were just all getting so frustrated because there's always that one person. And, you know, I'll never out them. But uh, we all know there's that one friend in our friend group who uh, screen peaked. And, you know, come on. Come on, man. Just yeah. get good. Yeah, I know. I know. Those freaking. <sighs> but, you know, the thing is, is that Nintendo encouraged it. It's, man, it's even in the frickin' manual. Google it, I swear. If I, if I remember correctly, one of the tool tips in the manual was to always look at your opponent's screen. It was it was part of the, the game design. The battle map literally had bright colors for each quadrant. And I swear, the design was, oh, look, so-and-so's in the green quadrant. Let, you know, I know where that is. Or so-and-so's in the red quadrant. I know where that is. So, I mean, it, it, was, it was a different era, man. It was... It it, it it wasn't the same as it was now, you know? Incredible. I Honestly, I didn't realize that, and uh, kind of makes me want to go and take a look at that manual. Yeah, I, uh, I really don't know if we still have it. Honestly, I don't even know where the game came from. Yeah, I, I don't have any clue where that stuff is. So, you know, I, I love this game. I, I, I really did. And the Super Nintendo era in general holds most of my fondest memories from my childhood honestly I, it was a good era for me you know a little bit of internet research shows a similar feeling for many other gamers mandarific on reddit wrote i have the fondest memories of this game my grandparents had an snes in the basement for the grandkids and we would always play this our grandparents didn't have any games that i remember reading through the amazon reviews you know you'll see a similar sentiment over and over again a recent review reads 
brought back a lot of good memories at 30, and I remembered playing at six years old. Another reads, a fun game that I remember playing with my cousins a few decades ago brought back lots of fond memories. And here's one that even reads, when I was a little kid, I always used to play Mario Kart. I was happy that I was able to get back to my childhood. I mean, how, how cool is that, man? Here's a game like many of the others that we're going to be discussing over the life of this podcast that's helping people relive memories from 30 years ago and, and even sharing them. You know, it's funny how things trigger memories, right? A simple game, a song, a movie. You know, we, uh, we're a nostalgic we're nostalgic people, aren't we? I would absolutely agree. I mean, I know that I was 16 years old. I had dad buy us a Nintendo 64 because I remember it was another one of those ones that growing up, not necessarily here at the family, but growing up with friends, they all had Nintendo 64s. And I fell in love with Pokemon Stadium, Pokemon Snap, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And, uh, you know, just... I had to have them and go relive those young days of being in middle school. And granted, at 16, I wasn't really uh, much far out of those days. But it just absolutely, I absolutely agree. You know, and it just goes over and over and over. Here's another Amazon review that reads, uh, and I quote, flooding back with memories from when I was little that I'm sharing with my kiddos now. So 30 years later, we get to relive the same memories with our kids. You know, it, it, it's great. You know, I think that we all have games that bring us back to certain points in our childhood. And, and one of the things I'm most looking forward to as we build our community here is is looking is is listening to everyone's stories. I'm 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 super excited for what everyone has to offer. I mean I, I genuinely am. I think it's gonna be great. And on that note, here's a good one. About a year ago, Mr. Plopsy on Reddit wrote, I'll always remember Super Mario Kart because it was one of the few games my parents bought for us for no real reason. It wasn't for a birthday or Christmas or anything. They just tossed it to us out of the blue, which is clearly the random act of kindness that a kid remembers decades later. Nice. So I had an opportunity, you know, on Reddit to reach out to Mr. Plopsy, and uh, he was kind enough to elaborate exactly the kind of nostalgia that we all are going to look back upon fondly. So I'm going to share that with you. So he wrote, it was probably about mid-1993, not a holiday and nobody's birthday. Uh, we'd only gotten the SNES last Christmas, and the only game we had was Mario World, which was far from a problem. I was still blown away by it and struggling to beat it, and asking for another game had barely crossed my mind. The jump from 8 to 16-bit was just that impressive to my little brain. One day, I came home from school, and my mom had said, my mom said that she had something for my brother and me. She gave it to us, still in the shopping bag, which I think was from KB Toys. Do you remember KB Toys, Rob? The name sounds familiar, but I don't think it was still very popular, yeah. or it, was, it might have already been closed down. Yeah, I remember KB Toys. So we opened it up, and bam, Super Mario Kart? Neither my brother or I knew it existed, which is kind of something that only happened in the pre- pre-internet age, that's for sure. We didn't have uh, the trailers or anything leading up to everything. <laughs> there are a lot of pleasant surprises in my gaming past. Um, so anyway... I didn't have a subscription to any gaming mags at the time, so the only way to know what, what was available was to see it in a store or by word of mouth. My mom wasn't one to waste money, so she must have found it on sale or something. Video games were pricey, and it was rare to expect one without months of begging and good behavior. So the ones I got as random gifts always seemed extra special. I can completely relate to that. Rob, when you were little, did you, did you have to beg and plead and do extra chores for video games sometimes? Well, I was fortunate enough from the time that I was 
mostly into gaming that I was buying my own things that I had quite a few lawns to mow. So dad was kind enough to lend me the lawnmower. And, you know, I'd have to pay him for gas every once in a while, but I got to cut three lawns every other week. Pretty good money, saved up enough to buy myself a GameCube and some games. So I didn't have to do begging, but I definitely had to do a lot of hard work for it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I I definitely had to uh, finagle my way into games sometimes. So anyways, moving on. So mom knew that I was a fan of Mario, and my brother and I loved to ride go-karts at a local track. So it was no-brainer, right? We popped that sucker in immediately. My brother was older, so I let him play first. He chose Luigi, the 50cc mushroom cup race. Somehow he had accidentally enabled the shrink mode cheat and was stuck as a tiny Luigi for the entire race. I had wondered if maybe it was like a regular Mario game where you start small and had to get a mushroom to get big. This was the first non-platforming Mario game I had ever even heard of, so I mean, we had no clue. My brother fell behind quickly, so he did what any kid given the controls to a racing game does. He went backwards, he did donuts in the infield, and generally just made a, a giant mockery of things. It was a blast, I'll never forget it. You play a lot of racing games, don't you, Rob? Uh, I would say I do. Yeah, yeah, you like going fast. We've established that. So would you say that those are the things that a, a gaming kid does? I'd say... Yeah, yeah. Yeah? So are you telling me that you weren't the kid that went backwards or did donuts in the infield or generally made a mockery of, of the racing games? I would probably do that, too. I, I enjoy them, but I, I didn't necessarily say that I was good at them. I mean, that's exactly the point. When you're not good at them, you do donuts and you make a mockery of them. I mean, when you're good, you race. But when you're not so good, you just go apeshit and do whatever you want. You know what but I mean? Every good racer has those games where they're going to go apeshit because it's just not having, you're not having it. You do really well and then you mess up one time and then you hit another banana, you hit an oil slick, you hit, you know, you get bumped out of the way, you get shrunk and you're just having a bad time. You can be the best racer when it comes to Mario Kart. That does not matter. <laughs> you will lose. Yeah, well, and a lot. I, I don't. I don't know if that was as much the case in the beginning of things. We didn't have things like the uh, blue shell that you probably are used to now. But yeah, it, it was. It was fun. So Mr. Plopsy went on to write to me. This game became one of our favorites. I was obsessed. I recall writing about it in my school journals whenever I managed to beat a new cup. And I even made a crudely drawn storybook about Mario Kart that I shared for show and tell. It's a special game for Mr. Plopsy, wouldn't you agree? I would agree, but let's go back. I know what really interested you about his memory was the concept of a random act of gaming kindness. Is getting a random game really the act of kindness that sticks with you for decades? Yeah, I think so. You know, when you're a kid, you know, I, I, I remember birthdays distinctly every birthday would come around we were given a budget and we could go pick a game in that budget i i remember early on my first one of my early racing games nascar for the pc the original nascar man that 3d graphics that thing blew my mind but i remember picking that as a birthday title one day but it was rare to just get a game out of the blue how about you you know, thinking about it, I do have to say it was, you know, kind of a, a, some, a reward. You mentioned uh, birthday, but for me, it was my first confirmation. So one that really sticks out to me is my, I actually have a Game Boy Color that was the Pikachu edition. So the yellow with the blue back with Pikachu and I believe Togepi on the front of it. And I remember getting that and Pokemon Red because 
growing up, Charizard always been my favorite. Still to this day is one of my favorite, if not my favorite Pokemon. So I guess, you know, that's second grade that that happened. And still to this day, you know, I still know exactly where that Game Boy Color is in my uh, boxes. And still to this day, it still sticks out as one of the those things. So, you know, I, to that point, yeah, you definitely do remember those kind of things. Yeah, what I remember more so than anything was when we were little, we always used to rent games from the video store. It was my, it was like my absolute favorite thing. We rented games, we rented systems so I could play games on systems we didn't own. But very frequently when the video store, video rental store was done with the games, they would sell the games off cheap and we would buy them. And so I have a lot of games that have, uh, I remember it very distinctly, Video Club 3. I have Video Club 3 labels on a bunch of my Super Nintendo games. <laughs> and that was a treat. That was that was going to the store. And if I could convince Dad that something, you know, if it was a 5 or $10 game, you know, after it had been used by a ton of people, I could get it. So, and... Well, let me tell you, that did not stop after you left because, uh, you know, Blockbuster, Family Video, you know, you hear all these names some of you might not remember them but these are you know popular video chains where we grew up same thing they would be done with these games and as they were all shutting down everything real cheap and you know even these games were all loved by people so they still work and uh sometimes you get to find some save files especially with more of the nintendo or cartridge based games and you get to see the way some people played them and it's kind of interesting always you know some pokemon games where people had one Pokemon level 99 and the rest were level 20, 30, just caught whenever. And um, then you have the people who 99 everything and you wonder how they managed to get that done in the week or two that they had the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you know, I know the answer to that because that, that was the thing, you know, growing up, we would always have sleepovers on the weekends with our friends and you tried to stretch that weekend out as much as possible. So you got your friends to be dropped off as like right from school, mom can, can so-and-so come home from school with us. And then you wanted to get them picked up as late as possible on a Sunday. And so you could literally binge and get no sleep and play video games for like three days straight. You know, I definitely have uh, done that once or twice in my days. Once or twice, man, that was like every weekend for us. We were so bad about it. I was being modest. I mean, we do know that uh, my good friend Damon lived with us for quite a while in high school, and uh, there were many nights with Halo where we would be oh. playing through the campaign Man. night after night after night. But that's, that's... weekends, we would bring over... On the weekends, we would bring over a few others, and we would literally all night stay up, play the game, and then we'd go get McDonald's breakfast first thing, and then rinse and repeat that's 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 kind of cheating though i mean he did live with you guys for a while so but you know it's just it's a little different yes but we did rent these games at the time so we were playing through them as much as we could we just had a little more time because we did live together yeah 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 yeah. so did you know that there's a literally a subreddit called random acts of gaming you know it's labeled as a subreddit designed to allow gamers to spread the love of gaming and it's just post after post after post of giving games away to others. Have you ever seen it before? I have not. I was un- completely unaware of that. Yeah, man. It's got like 140,000 members. And it's just post after post of, 
of of people uh giving away games i mean right now the there's a giveaway for a fifty dollar steam card there's a giveaway for a copy of of beat cop a giveaway for three months of nintendo online some humble choice leftovers two point hospital yakuza zero i mean we're talking just giveaway after giveaway like i mean it's like the generosity of gamers uh has no bounds which is is amazing to be totally honest with you yeah that absolutely sounds incredible i'm shocked and astounded that there's something like that existing so have you ever given away a game uh for no apparent reason to someone i would not necessarily say that there is no reason but i did when i was leaving college have a very good roommate who um had an old xbox 360 and that was all that he had. Well, one of the things that we would do is we'd stay up all night playing uh, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, doing the zombie mode. So when I graduated, we had Damon and I and another friend of ours, Caitlin, had bought a second Xbox One to actually run a server for ARC. So we could have that Xbox running all the time and play whenever we wanted. Well... You know, eventually we moved on to having it hosted by uh, a cloud service, and that extra Xbox became unneeded. So I talked to the two of them and said, hey, you know, would you guys mind if I gave this to Brandon, who is my roommate, and uh, that way he can join and play games with us and everything. And, um, you know, they both said, absolutely, that's that's a wonderful idea. Let's go ahead and do that. So we finally got Brandon an Xbox One, and... Uh, you know, every once in a while when we all get the time, we'll play the games together. Like I said, I wouldn't say there was no reason that we wanted to be able to continue that, that playing that we were doing while we lived together. And because uh, he still had some time in college, so I wasn't going to be able to see him as easily. We did it for that reason. But yeah, I would say absolutely have done that. How about received? You ever received a game out of the blue for no reason? I mean, you're the one asking me, but you should really ask yourself, have you ever given a game away for any no reason and ask if that's your little brother? Because quite often, yes, I have received games from you. Look, I I think that in a lot of ways, I like buying games more than playing them sometimes. In fact, I think if you ask my wife, she'll tell you that that's the case. And not only do I buy games, but I support a lot of, you know, indie bundles and, and buy this bundle and you know, this gaming charity drive and that gaming charity drive. And, and as a result, I end up with a lot of doubles of things. And yes, I, I do very much like to give them away to others. If it's a game I enjoy and that I think others should experience as well, I'll absolutely share it with people. Absolutely. And I do that. I do that with a lot of people. So, you know, the other part of it is if there's a, a game that I want to play with someone, I will buy them a copy because I want to play with them. And to me, spending $10 on a copy for myself, say, and $10 for a copy for someone else, which is, you know, is $20 well spent, as opposed to going out, you know, and spending twice as much or three times as much on dinner and a movie type deal, you know? Absolutely. And to that point, um, you know, you, you obviously mentioned you're the generous one giving away these games, but what about receiving one? I'm lucky. I, I've, I have some generous friends, too. I have some incredibly generous friends that, that do share with me. Heck, I have pieces in my computer that are hand-me-downs from friends that I'm very thankful for. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I, uh, it, for me, I like to live by the golden rule, right? You treat others the way that you want to be treated. And you don't give them away with the expectation that you get something in return, 
and give them away to give someone joy and happiness with it without the expectation of getting something back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. we go. Yeah. 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 I don't really think anything else needs to be said. Live by the golden rule, people. So, you know, along the same lines of this discussion, I, I want to share this anecdote that I found on a thread uh, about small acts of kindness from strangers in an MMO. So Mel with you writes about uh, an event that happened to him in the original Dark Souls. I was slowly working my way through my first playthrough. I was so very close to the next bonfire and someone popped into my game, he recalled. In Dark Souls, being invaded by another player is often the beginning of a life-or-death struggle against a human foe who could be anywhere in your current level. As I was mentally prepping for an ambush, I slowly creeped around a corner, and there they were, standing in the middle of the path, completely decked out in high-end gear. And I thought to myself, this is, this is it. This is an hour or two wasted. I'm going to get my ass kicked by this player. If you guys have never played Dark Souls, and Rob, you can elaborate this, uh, dying puts you back at the previous bonfire you visited. So being killed after struggling through a new area can feel especially gut-wrenching. And to that point, with the way that progression works through Dark Souls, you obtain experience that you have to spend at the next bonfire or at a bonfire. And when you die, you lose that experience until you can pick it back up. So if you don't pick it up before dying, that is all lost experience. Oh, that's just the worst. I, I honestly didn't have the patience for Dark Souls. So I I think I maybe played to the first or second bonfire and, and put it down. And I don't know if I've ever picked it up again. So how would you feel if you were standing in between an area close to a new bonfire and this guy just wipes, you know, standing in front of you in high level gear? You know, you ask how I would feel and it's not how would I it's how have I because <laughs> that has happened in Dark Souls you expect more often to not run into a phantom um, an invader than you actually expect to not run into them you expect more often not to than to run into them rather it's always the worst you see the invader you just see the big red letters across your screen you hear the, the gong and you know you just you sigh because it's gonna go one of two ways and for me it was normally the uh the not so good way and you're gonna lose and you're gonna go back well what about the good way so melt with you goes on to to say you know i just stood there staring they stood there staring back like a samurai showdown after 20 or 30 seconds they waved at me surprised i waved back then we started emoting back and forth to each other for a minute or two I was laughing my ass off. They bowed at me, gave me a set of high-end armor, waved, and then vanished. And he goes on to say that that set is still sitting in his inventory to this very day. You, have you ever had anything like that happen? Not in Dark Souls. Man, where can I find some invaders like that? <laughs> I, that guy got lucky. He he found someone that was, uh, you know, of the random act of uh, gaming kindness persuasion. You, on the other hand, apparently, all you ever do is attract the weirdos. You know, at least in Dark Souls. But, you know, I also was always playing with friends. So uh, I, I maybe it has a system of targeting the people with more than one person for these people because they want to see if they can beat more than one person. Or maybe it's just because they know that I'm bad and they have to wait till I have backup to get invaded. I, I know that even right before we started recording this, you were playing RuneScape. Do you ever have any situations in that in which you were on either end of an act of gaming kindness? 
You know, actually, RuneScape uh, is one of those ones that I do often as I can, the uh, random acts of kindness. But one major reason for that is uh, recently, the release of Old School on mobile, I got back into RuneScape. And I was doing one of my Slayer tasks that required me to be in the wilderness doing, uh, I believe, Earth Warriors. And for anyone who knows the game, they know that Earth Warriors is just inside of the wilderness. So I'm, you know, there, I'm doing some train, I'm doing my Slayer task. Another guy comes along and we just start chatting. You know, very nice guy. Didn't, uh, didn't try to kill me. Amazing, amazing thing in the wilderness not to get attacked. Um, for those who don't know the game, it is one of the few places where player versus player is allowed and people can kill you and take your gear. So I was there and I was doing my task and some other guy pops in and starts attacking me. And the person who I was talking to and me are both like, no, please stop. Like, don't do that. Just, you know, we're just like, hey, please just chill out. Stop. Don't do this. Whatever. So I ended up dying. Guy didn't hear us out. So I go back to gather remnants of my things, hoping, praying. He didn't take all my stuff. Even if he did, I still had to finish my task. So I'm going to go back. The other guy was pretty cool. I'm going to talk to him. So we get back there and he says, hey, you know, that really sucks. Sorry about that. Why don't you follow me to the bank? oh, okay, I mean, I'm leaving the wilderness, that's not any, I already lost my stuff, what's the big deal? So I go with the guy, and he says, trade with me. So I'm like, uh, sure, but uh, why? And he's like, just go ahead and do it. So, you know, I'm thinking, a little nervous, I'm like, okay. And then he puts three armor sets of the same type of armor I was wearing in my inventory, which was obviously three times what it was worth. I forget the exact value, but... We're talking for those that know rune armor. So not the most expensive, but not cheap for someone who's not very high level. So I was like, you know, you don't have to do this. Like, I appreciate it. I can afford another set and everything. And he's like, dude, no, don't worry about it. Like, you know, just go ahead, take it and um, just keep doing it. So from that point on, like that to me was like, wow, like that guy did it for me. So like, that's pretty awesome. And it made me like renewed my faith in the game because like, PvP sucks. I avoid the wilderness like the plague because I'm there to train my character and get 99. Yes, I'm not good at grinding, so it takes me a long time. So I don't. I want to have fun and not PvP until I'm ready to do so. So being in a situation where I kind of was forced into an area I had to be without wasting my Slayer points. Okay, I'm getting a little too deep into it. I don't need to talk that much. <laughs> anyway, I was, I, I was, I was, I was mostly following you. I promise. That's fine. Anyway, so once I got that armor from the guy, I um I started doing the same to other people. So not necessarily in the wilderness, but I would go to starting areas and, you know, I'd kind of poke a little fun at people and I'd go after the same monster they're going for, get them a little agitated and, and just, just to make sure they're not one of those bots just training. And once you as a real person, I'd say, hey, you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead, trade with me. I'll make it worth your while. And then I'd toss them, you know, a chunk of change couple hundred thousand dollars maybe some armor sets just something i could do to say hey you know sorry for bothering you have a nice day hope you do the same for a new player someday yeah i think that one of the best parts of games nowadays are the communities that the games are that that are all the communities in the games basically so you know i I play Warframe with one of my best friends, shout out Cervantes, and I am not nearly as serious about it as he or the rest of the guys we play with are. I spread myself a, a, around a lot of 
bit different video games, but uh, Warframe is, dude, you love Warframe. I love you. You love Warframe. And despite the fact that I'm not serious, they are always, always, always so unbelievably generous with giving me gear. And I, 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 it's awesome. I mean, like, I, you know, they, it means so much because they all have to work so freaking hard to get this stuff. You know, it, it's, it's random. You know, you, you play a level, you get a random piece of gear. You play a level, you get a random piece of gear. And, and sometimes I end up with gear that is just unbelievably rare because they already have it and they stumbled across it and then they share it, saving me all that time. And I, I you know, I, it, it blows my mind every time one of them is like, oh, you don't have this piece? Here you go. And I'm like, dude, I, no, no, take it. You know what I mean? I just, I think that it's awesome when people are kind to one another and, you know, contribute in ways that, that better and, and, and make, make people feel welcome to communities. Because, I mean, look, we, you and I play Rocket League a lot, right? A ton. A ton. Right? A ton. A ton. A ton. Yeah, absolutely a ton. For those of you that don't know it, we are Rocket League junkies. But, you know, Rocket League is one of those games that you, you stumble across plenty of toxic people. Plenty of toxic people. Would you agree, Rob? No. What are you talking about? The community is awesome. <laughs> yes, they are extremely toxic. Uh, here, this is this perhaps thing. one of the worst. This is where I just spam. Okay, okay, okay. Chat disabled. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, on the other hand, you know, you have communities like Rocket League that, that just isn't so uh, welcoming. And, and that, probably part of that is the competitive nature of it, but my favorite games have always been co-op ones. I've always enjoyed games more when I can play with my friends as opposed to against my friends. And, you know, I just think that acts of kindness in video games, random or not, are that which makes the world go round. You know? Right you are, Dave. Right you are. So let's move on from 1992. We're going to jump forward a year. And in 93, we have the release of Illusion of Gaia, which is also for the Super Nintendo. Um, I'm a bit of a history lover, and I distinctly remember this game because uh, in it you could visit all sorts of history sites like uh, Incan Ruins, the Great Wall of China, the Egyptian Pyramids, I think, were in it. There was, there was all sorts of, uh, of, of great history sites in this story. You're right about that, Dave. I want to read you this post on Reddit from Element Quattro. Before I do, though, I want to point out that Element Quattro is on YouTube where he started a Let's Play series on this game. We'll be posting a link to his YouTube on our website, memorycardlane.com, along with the direct source of all of the memories we're using in today's episode. I'm going to read you what he wrote, and I want you all to go visit his Let's Play, because he's exactly the kind of gamer we want to support in this community. Here goes. When I was a kid, my family wasn't the most well-off in the world, but my parents both worked their asses off to make sure my sister and I had happy childhoods. I got my SNES near the end of its lifespan, and with it, a little game called Illusion of Gaia. Before I played this game, I had no idea that video games could have stories beyond go from left to right and save the princess. But this game, while it had a few translation errors that created plot holes, blew my 10-year-old mind. It had everything I had seen in the movies and read in books. Action, adventure, relatable characters, a story that I wanted to see to its end, young romance, etc. Hell, this was the first video game that legit made me cry. 
This is the game. This is when I truly became a gamer and could appreciate the medium as an art form. He goes on to say that this was the first game he streamed on Twitch and put on YouTube. So go show Element Quattro some love, everyone. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of memory that we want to share, isn't it, Rob? I absolutely, you know, that's that's to it. It's what brings what video games mean. It's a defining moment of how they relate in your life, what they mean to you. It's that memory is the kind of stuff we're looking for. That's exactly. Yeah. You know, he, he notes that video games as a medium are an art form and, and that this is his moment. Do you feel that gaming's an art medium? I absolutely would agree to that. I mean, you have so many games that the art is breathtaking. The music is breathtaking. Um, just little intricacies just blow you away. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I, I don't know if that's always the case. I, I struggle with that sometimes because if you look back to the entry, you know, beginning point of gaming and you got, I don't know, Pong, for instance, you know, two paddles and a ball that goes back and forth. Can can we honestly really say that that's art? Do you think that that's art? Define art. I mean, I did not expect you to throw that back at me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, fine. Let's do this. You know, throw that back at me. Jeez Louise, what is art? Courting, courting to... Wait, 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 wait. Art definition. Hold on, hold on. We're going to Google this. Art. Noun. The expression or application of human creative skill and imagination, typically in a visual form such as painting or sculpture, producing works to be appreciated primarily for their beauty or emotional power. Would you not say that a game created on a screen that requires motion controls in an era where that was not the norm is not beautiful and an expression of their knowledge and abilities in the programming? I think that's fair. I I think that it's definitely a expression of human creative skill. I mean, you have to be creative to take what's essentially a bunch of uh, resistors and capacitors and ones and zeros and turn it into something, even if it is just two paddles and a ball that bounces back and forth, you know? I mean, I don't really think the game is art, but just to to throw a point. (laughs) Oh, you little (laughs) shit. (laughs) You can totally not have most of that in there i was just throwing a wrench into no that's good that's the that's what we need cool that's exactly what we need it needs to go back and forth like that so i don't mind that at all awesome you know the the thing of it is is that i i I think video game definitely is art and video games is art it's uh it's a very commonly debated topic and it's been you know it's been a controversial topic since since for forever i i remember a while ago that uh roger ebert the famous film critic had made a comment along the lines of how video games are not art and actually I'll, I'll, here's here's the quote he goes to my knowledge no one in or out of the field has ever been able to cite a game worthy of comparison with the greatest dramatists poets filmmaker novelists and composers that a game can aspire to artistic importance as a visual experience, I accept. But for most gamers, video games represent a loss of those precious hours we have available to make ourselves more cultured, civilized, and empathetic. Do, do you agree with Roger Ebert, Rob? No. No, you, you don't think that video games represent a loss of precious hours? 
I do not agree with that at all. I think that video games are very important, and they have the reasons. I believe that sometimes we all spend a little too much time and get a little lost in them, but there are very good reasons behind that, and that, uh, you know, we all have our escapes, and for very many, that is video games. So I think I'm going to take that which a film critic says with a grain of salt. I mean, I get it. It's a video game, and, and that was a long time ago, too. Things have come and come away from here. But more interesting to me is, you know, while, while doing research on this, I stumbled across a, an interview in a, a 2006 interview with uh, Hideo Kojima, who is uh, known as the creator of Metal Gear Solid, and uh, more recently created a game that I'm playing right now, Death Stranding. He agreed with Ebert's assessment that video games aren't art. And Kojima acknowledged that games may contain artwork, but since the highest ideal of all video games is to achieve 100% player satisfaction, whereas art is targeted to at least one person, Kojima argued that video game creation is more of a service than an artistic endeavor. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, it's kind of hard to argue with someone who actually creates video games as someone who just appreciates them, but I feel that... It's no different than art in that aspect, in that art is for one person, whereas a video game is for a large because you need to sell. However, just like that art might not be special to another person, that video game might not be special to some person. So that doesn't make it any less of a work of art. It doesn't any less appreciate the value of that just because it's not meant for that person. For the people who truly appreciate that game, it is still art. And while it may, for the people who don't appreciate that title, they can still appreciate the art within the game, but the entire piece is not considered art to them. However, it's just like for people that don't actually appreciate art, abstract art might not be art to them because they don't appreciate what it is and what it means. Yeah, I would argue against the fact that our art is targeted to at least one person. There are museums dedicated to art across the entire world, all of which are visited by thousands, if not millions of people each year. Art is something that can be appreciated by tons of people. And I just don't agree with that. I do understand, however, with that being said, that art, video games in particular are a service, right? Because you know, when someone makes art, they may not necessarily be making it for any purpose than to make it. Whereas most people who make video games, at least the, let's say the AAA titles, the big games, are making it to sell and the economy is made to sell. Now, with that being said, I think in the past, you know, however many years that the indie side of video games have blown up i think there's a lot more argument for games that were just made for the sake of making games and not for the sake of selling a, a ton of copies there's a lot of free games out there that people put out there just because nowadays I, you used to play flash games all the time didn't you yes i did i mean those are those are those are, are free games do you think that those games were made as a service to people or were any of those works of art to you you know i it's tough when you put it in perspective like that. I mean, one in particular comes to mind. It was just these, it was similar to Flappy Bird in that you had this little plane and you had to fly it and keep it afloat 
in this in the sky and not crash into other planes or clouds or things like that. It's very simple. I would looking at it, it's not visually appealing. It was just kind of fun to kill some time. And I guess to that end, if you view that for you, a video game as art is based on its enjoyment that it brings you, I would absolutely agree because for those few minutes in which I started playing it, I was having a a great old time. For me, that's why I enjoyed them. It, and that's what made it art is because, you know, even if it wasn't the most visually resounding thing that I'm looking at, it was basically a JPEG plane going up and down. It was still fun for the moment to occupy an idle brain. True. So for Element Quattro, Illusion of Gaia was his game's his art moment. Do you remember what game did that for you? I would have to say Devil May Cry. Um, growing up, that was one of my and still to this day is one of my favorite game series. Uh, I absolutely love Devil May Cry. Not the best at it. I'm not the Dante must die, no touch master, but uh, I, I, I very much enjoy the game. And with that, I just remember growing up, I remember playing through the first level and running around in this um, castle and all of a sudden these marionettes start coming to life. And it was just seeing that and the way that they moved and the intricacies with the way that they fought and when you destroyed them and the way that Dante fought with them, just every seeing all of these visually appealing things and the way that that was done and tied together along with the music in the background, um, it, it just all fit together so very well. And... It, it really drew me into not only that game, but it drew me into the series. And, you know, just like any game series, there are some that were worse than others and definitely some that shine above the rest. But even to that, I enjoy every single one of the Devil May Cry games, even to this day. And it's still going back and playing that original one holds just as much value to me as it did that first time I picked it up as a kid and had the hardest time defeating anything. Um, and I would absolutely, it would be Devil May Cry for me. So, I mean, what about yourself, Dave? It would have to be Final Fantasy VII, for sure. It would definitely have to be Final Fantasy VII. But on that note, I'm going to save that topic. Uh, so, spoiler alert, everyone. If you didn't know, Final Fantasy VII came out um, what's equivalent of next week in gaming history, and that's going to be one of our main topics for conversation in next week's episode. So we're going to table this conversation about gaming as an art medium, and we're going to pick it back up next week along with some other super exciting topics that we'll discuss in a little bit for next week's episode. So make sure you tune in next week so you get the continuation of this conversation because you definitely want to know where Dave goes with it. <laughs> yes, what he said. Hey, Dave, I couldn't help but notice you passing the time on one of those fancy shooters the other day. What's your kill-death ratio? Oh, you know, I kill, and then I die, and then I die again, and again, and then I die some more, and then maybe after that, I die again. But then I kill again, and that's what's important. Every little bit helps, you know? So, I'm guessing it's not too good? No, I mean, uh, I guess I could use a little improvement. I mean, who who doesn't want a better kill-death ratio? Well, Dave... Boy, oh boy, do I have the trick for you. 
What if I told you that I could drastically improve your gameplay without any effort on your part? I'd say that I'd be open to suggestion. I mean, I am kind of tired of letting my team down. Aimbot 3000 uses a new patented method of receiving information about all of your opponents so that you always know where they are, whether they're visible to you or not. From there, it's as simple as seeming pointing your weapon. Wow. Uh, what? It's as simple as... I have no clue. From there, it's as simple as just point... Just say it's as simple as just pointing your weapon. I think that works. Okay, so... Okay, I think I want to maybe just redo the whole thing, so... Aimbot 3000 uses... Oh, no. How do I want to start that? That's just a weird transition. Aimbot 3000. Aimbot 3000. Okay. There you go. Aimbot 3000 uses a new patented method of receiving information about all of your opponents so that you always know where they are, whether or not they're visible to you. From there, it's as simple as pointing your weapon. Wait, wait a minute. Isn't that cheating? I'm not done yet. It's simply a matter of pointing your weapon at your enemy. No, 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 no. I, I'm pretty sure that that's definitely cheating. Point the weapon at the enemy and go pew. No, yeah, well, I, I mean, yeah, that part sounds about right. With Aimbot 3000, you'll never miss a shot again. No, I'm, I'm not using that. No, no, no. Bought wherever complete and utter tools shop today. Yeah, I mean, I'm still... Wait a minute, did you just call me a tool? You know what they say. What do they say? If the level 30 obsidian armor fits. No, that's not it. It's it's the shoe. Come on, kid. It's the shoe. Nobody wants to wear an obsidian shoe. The shoe would be so uncomfortable. Oh, for... You know what? Just forget it. Forget what? You know, so... Let's just, let's just move on. So we're t talking about games as art, which brings us to our next game. Um, in, in 2013, we were graced on the PC with Brothers, a tale, is a, a tale of two sons, okay? I had the pleasure of playing it back then, but I recently gave it to you as homework to play it for the first time. Did you finish your homework, Rob? Admittedly, it took way longer than it should have and kind of happened really close to the time we were supposed to be recording this. But Procrastinators Unite tomorrow. Yes, I did. <laughs> so before we get into it, I want to read you this review on the Steam store that inspired me to, to have you play this game. So back in 2014, uh, Ryuga Hideki wrote, among other things, that this was tr a truly touching story that uses no words to tell it, but makes controls an integral part. And yes, I did shed a few tears. He then goes on to write, and here's another notch towards our point, video games can be art when they're made to be and when it's done right. This game is definitive proof and worth every penny despite the fairly short playtime. So, my first question to you, Rob, is fresh after your first playthrough, is this video game art? So... I would absolutely have to say that it is art. Um, at first, I had trouble getting through the game because of some joystick issues that David assured me was on my end entirely. Problem exists between controller and chair. And uh, once we got past... Good good, good Pepcac reference. Good Pepcac reference. Thank you. Once we got past that controller issue, I got back into it and I began playing through it. And... Through every twist and turn, uh, there's unexpected situations happening, and um, it, it's a very simplistic game. It doesn't take very long to go through, but it does a phenomenal 
job of in that short amount of time conveying emotions conveying a story even if you don't understand what's being said you understand what is happening and it does a phenomenal job of not only making you understand what's happening but making you a part of it and forcing you to feel what they're trying to make you feel throughout this um well good i'm gonna stop you right there because we're talking about the game and I want to talk about the feels. How did it make you feel, Rob? Well, at first, you know, the game does a great job of kind of punching you in the gut. Um, it, it starts out a really sad note. And then from there, you know, it gets you this more anxiety. You, you're you in a situation where, you know, oh, you just saw sadness and oh, it could get even worse. But the brothers, they go side, side by side. They go off on this adventure to try and save the day. And they progress, and throughout the entire story, side by side, working together to achieve their goals. And without revealing too much towards the end, there's a, a, a tragedy that befalls, and you, based on the development that you felt between the brothers and having to control both of them throughout this story, this tragedy that befalls really affects you on a deeper level because not only is it affecting the way that you feel and emotionally towards the game but it's affecting a fundamental part of the game at that point and for those of you who are interested feel free to to watch a let's play or give the game a try yourself and see and you'll understand what we're talking about but it's it's one of those ones that you know you you start out feeling kind of low and then it builds you up to this high again and then in the end it just comes right around and smacks you in the face again saying hey nice try you wanted to be happy but not this time yeah i'm gonna agree with rob on this one aside from the let's play part i i think this is a game that you really have to play yourself because you know like he said without giving away too much there's a moment in the game in which the fundamental way you control the game changes and you know i it's very rare that a game allows you to have such a physical connection with it that physically changes, you know, the story physically changes the game itself. I, I think that is is very uniquely done. Did you shed a tear, Rob? Just, 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 just tell me. Just did you did you did you shed a tear? Not on this one. No, I mean, for uh, myself, it was kind of given. I mean, I'll I'll just say, always listen to your little brother. Ugh. Guys, we're going to get them eventually. At one point, we'll break those walls down. Ugh, I'm such a sap. I cry at everything. I'm going to put that out in the in the world. I'm such a freaking sap. So so here's another review by uh, <clears throat> Dr. Hot Dog Bitch Face. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't get through that with a straight face. <laughs> but, uh, it's actually Dr. Hot Dog Bitch Face. It's a good review, though. It reads, uh, I'll admit that it's not for everybody. The game is very narrative-driven and requires a heavy emotional investment, something that not every gamer is prepared to, capable, or willing to do. And so, Dr. Hot Dog Bitchface got me thinking. First of all, do you think that it's true that this game in particular requires a heavy emotional investment? I would think that it does. I know that for me, when I wasn't into it, it, uh, it didn't really have that much of an impact on me. And you know, because the way the game started was when I was having the issues, it definitely took away from the impact as I was progressing through the story. 
but then once I got everything working again and it's all going well, I was a lot more involved and the investment was definitely higher at that point and I felt more drawn into it because of that fact. But I also felt that with that, that I knew that if I wasn't in the mood for that kind of investment that I wouldn't truly get the most appreciation out of the game. If you enjoy that kind of investment in the games, it's something you have to absolutely be ready for. Don't go into it thinking it's going to be, you know, oh, I can just pop in, pop out, and not really care. This isn't your five-minute competitive game. Oh, I'm done. I can be done with this game. Playing it from start to end and feeling all of that in one shot really... It is a big investment, but it's really the best way to go about it. But you just need to know that you will potentially have that investment in that. Do you think it's fair to note that not every gamer is prepared to, capable, or willing to invest themselves emotionally in their games? I do think it's fair. I was not emotionally invested in this game at first, and it made it very difficult to get through. So that being said right there, not every gamer is. Sometimes you, it, the same person can be and cannot be at the same time. I mean, it just depends. You really just don't know until you get involved into it and see what it does for you. So do you think that gamers that are not willing to invest themselves emotionally are capable of enjoying a game like this that relies so heavily on an emotional narrative? I would say it would probably be a lot more difficult to enjoy if you don't have that emotional investment. It's a cool little mechanical platforming game with some cool little nuances and some puzzles here and there but it's very simplistic it's not very challenging it's more about the story and if you don't have that investment into the story it does not impact you in the same way and it might not be enjoyable because of that because of the simplicity of what the game itself is without the story all right fair enough i I, i'm inclined to agree i don't think there's a lot of substance to this game you know in in terms of the puzzling and everything i think that the whole draw of it is the emotional narrative but still uh let's push this a little further so gamers that play games like rocket league call of duty warzone or fortnite for instance do you think that they're emotionally invested in their games? I think that that is a different type of emotional investment. I mean, for some people, they're going to these games because they want to uh, have a release, and you know, headshots are always fun on your uh, your opponents, or getting a really good sneak attack. I mean, Rocket League, getting a great shot is always a great feeling. But some people want to go in there and they want to heckle other people. They want to cause trouble. Uh, it's That's what they get their enjoyment out of. I don't think that it's so much that they're following a story that tugs at your heartstrings. It's more of it's just kind of their release. And that's, again, more of the multiplayer aspect. If we go into the single player for the games that have it, which, I mean, Rocket League, Call of Duty, Warzone specifically, Fortnite being multiplayer games, you're not getting that single-player aspect. It's more about the social aspect and playing with other people and creating that social network. It's not like Battlefield, where although you have the multiplayer, you have the single-player that you can become invested into and build, progress through the game with those characters and build that investment. 
you play online and you know you might get invested to your titanium white octane special edition you know alpha version paid 150 dollars for but there's not that story that you progressed through with that white octane how it started out as a blue octane and saved up enough money to get a paint job and is now top of its class at rlcs winning all the games yeah i i agree i i think that we definitely have emotional investment to all of our games uh you're right and just that they're different i i equate it to to movies there's times when you just want to sit down and watch a mindless movie. You know, we call them summer blockbusters, for instance, your Avengers movies or, you know, uh, transporter movies are any other mindless action flick that, that, that you would just put on. And they have a purpose when you're in a mood for it, but it's definitely different than if you were to say, watch the Amelie's or the, you know, Hamlet's or heck, even to a certain extent, some Quentin Tarantino flicks have a little bit more depth to them than uh, you know, a, a summer blockbuster. So, or or oh, even better, watch a movie like Inception or uh, Interstellar. Yeah, Christopher Nolan, boy. I, I, you know, I, I definitely think there's a little bit of a different investment there. So, I, I, I'd have to agree. Uh, anything you'd like to add to the conversation, Rob? Uh, no, I think I've said all that I had to. Well. That's that. We did it. Bruh. Bruh. We did it. Yeah. So we did it. Let's add some thunderous applause right there, shall we? So, uh, what'd you think? Um, I think it went really well. I think we uh, touched on a lot of great topics. I think we got a lot of great stories. But I'm definitely looking forward to the next one. I can't wait to see what the community is going to give for us to talk about and get all these stories and get them out to the world because it doesn't matter what you and I think. At the end of the day... It's about the community and about getting these stories out. And without the community, it would just be two guys talking. Yeah, no one wants to listen to just us. I mean, I, I realize the hypocrisy of that because you're listening to us. But, but trust me, it's going to be much more interesting if we're speaking on your behalf. So on our next episode, as we alluded to, we're going to be discussing 1997's Final Fantasy VII, which is a very very special game to me. We're going to be looking at 2002's Battlefield 1942 and 2004's Burnout 3 Takedown. So we're looking to hear your best stories around each. I'm sure that at least one of those, if not more than one, made you cry. Maybe all of them. I don't know. But uh, still, I want to hear about it, guys. And if you'd like to share those tears with us, be sure to visit our website at memorycardlane.com. That's memorycardlane.com. That's right. And and there, guys, uh, you'll find all the sources for today's episode, links to the reviews that we use, links to the websites that we used, a, a way if you want to you know, make sure we're not full of it and check for yourself. All of our sources are linked. There's going to be a link to join our official Discord server. Our stupid faces are on there. Our Patreon is on there if you'd like to support our endeavor and pay for our website space because that's really all we're going to put it into right now. So that's right, guys. If you like what you hear and you want to help us grow, uh, you can support us financially through our Patreon. There's a link to it on our website, memorycardlane.com. But if you're a glutton for punishment, you can also find it at patreon.com slash trip down memory card lane. Oh, man, that's way too long. Uh, you know what? Just go to our website, people memorycardlane.com uh anything else you'd like to add rob i just want to say thank you again for the opportunity to be here dave and thank you to all of our listeners 
uh, means a lot to be here. So thank you, and be sure to submit those stories and keep up with us in any way you can. All right. Well, I think as a first episode, this was probably a little longer than I expected. So I'm going to be a little bit more succinct with my notes and my writing next time, and we'll get this whittled down to a, what I think is a more reasonable time. So I'm really excited to bring you next week's episode. I know Rob just said he was too. So we hope that you'll join us here at the same time next week for another trip down memory card lane.